0: Deb, your host of Dying to Be Found True Crime Podcast. As always, thanks so much for choosing us as your go-to podcast today. It's definitely going to be an interesting case, and Shelby is back to help me out today. She likes to get my leftovers, as she says, as far as storylines, but truly, Shelbs, you really do get the best variety. So how are you today? I heard you had a busy week.
1: Yes, it's been very, very busy. We opened the restaurant um, Saturday. Everything went great. A few hiccups, but nothing that we can't pop back from. So it's been very exciting. That's good news.
0: So you sell artisan sandwiches, is that correct?
1: That's right.
0: Awesome. The menu looks amazing. And in case I didn't tell you, Shelves, I'm going to be there in two weeks.
1: Uh, You didn't tell me. I'm on my way. Yay. (laughs)
0: I know for those of you who are new listening to us Shelby's my daughter and we live a little bit of a distance apart so I always try to pop in whenever I can my extended family lives up in that area as well so always an excuse to head to the coast for sure
1: absolutely um I think you're picking a great weekend to come because next weekend I think we might see some hurricane activity so we will see
0: that's always fun and exciting, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you lived through a Category 3 yet? Um, nope. We haven't experienced that, but we're coming up on um, the 20th anniversary of one of the worst hurricanes to hit my town. So people are a little nervous right now.
0: Definitely. So, yeah, you better start stocking up, getting your uh, windows, possibly some storm doors, what have you, whatever you got to do. Well, let's ask you a question today. What's your favorite restaurant? Besides your own, of course, but what's your favorite restaurant?
1: Um, I love Outback because I love the Blooming Onion. Okay. (laughs) And I don't get to go there ever.
0: Well, today I'm going to take you on a trip to Italy. So what comes to mind when you think of Italian food? Pasta. Pasta and pizza, right?
1: Pasta and pizza.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's not Pizza Hut pizza. Not that Pizza Hut pizza is bad. It's a little bit more authentic there.
1: (laughs) I love Pizza Hut.
0: Yeah. All right. Before we get started, I want to give you a little bit of background. We're going to be talking about John Paul Getty today. And I want to give you a little bit of a background on who Paul is. And I'm going to be calling him Paul throughout this episode because, number one, that's the name he goes by. And number two, he is a third in line as far as the namesake. So I will be talking about John Paul Getty Sr. I'll be talking about John Paul Getty II as well. So we're going to be calling him Paul throughout this episode. All righty. Paul is the grandson of John Paul Getty Sr., who I don't know if you've heard of him, Shelbs. He's an oil tycoon. I have not. And I don't know, and I haven't heard of this oil company, probably because it's overseas. But he started the Getty Oil Company back in 1942. And basically, Shelby, it's just like any other oil company out there. You're talking about whatever gas stations you see. It's a string of gas stations, petrol stations that you would see today. There was talk at some point that oil wanted to buy them. I, I'm sure you may have heard of them. They're the ones that make motor oil. Yes, Texaco is the company who actually made the merger back in 2011. You know, oil tycoon in the family, and Paul obviously is an heir to that. Okay. He was born in 1956 to John Paul Getty II and Italian actress Gail Harris. John Paul and Gail went on to have three more children, so Paul was the oldest, Unfortunately, though, Shelbs, they eventually divorced when Paul was around eight and he went on to live with his mother, but unfortunately had very little to do with his dad after that.
1: Oh, I
0: know. As he came of age, Paul was somewhat of a free spirited teenager. Once again, Shelby, I want you to think about what you were doing around the age 16. Paul was somewhat free spirited. He was a prankster. And constantly got himself into trouble because, obviously, I think that's pretty much what boys do at that time. He was eventually expelled from high school for throwing a Molotov cocktail during a left-wing demonstration. So he actually went to a ton of different demonstrations. I want you to remember, at 16 years old, this was the 1970s, lots of demonstrations for peace, love, and war during that era. Right. And basically, Shelb's... Paul was just a little bit of a rebel and liked to party early in life.
1: Oh, goodness. What is, what is a Molotov cocktail? I don't know what that is.
0: I'm going to say it's like a mini bomb. I'm sure it's got a chemical. I don't know what the ingredients are. You can mix it in, let's just say, a mason jar. And then you are going to light the fuse at the end and throw it into a crowd. Not that that's ever good or safe, but it's basically going to, you know, set off a little bit of an explosion. Gosh, this would be one of those episodes I should be talking to Corey about. But (laughs) well, it was the 1970s. So how did they dress during that time? Sort of like a hippie. Paul fell right into that. He dressed like a hippie, had somewhat of what I would call a mop of hair. Um, Just long, curly, shaggy hair, Shelbs.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's coming back.
0: Yeah. Oh, it sure is, too. I don't know, though. To me, Shelbs, it looks like an outgrown Justin Bieber. <laughs> Paul was given the name the Golden Hippie by the news media because Paul's grandfather was an oil tycoon and labeled as one of the richest men in the world during that era.
1: Wow. Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah, but just wait. It gets a little crazy. I'm sure. Paul, because of his heritage and his background, he was easily recognizable in public and was treated like a celebrity by the press and by locals. So lucky him. But I'm thinking here, he was only around 16 years old when this story is occurring. How much publicity do you think a 16-year-old is going to be able to handle?
1: Probably not much. I mean, in the beginning, yeah, I'm sure it's great. But I mean, when I was, you know, younger, of course, I had that dream of being an actress. But the older that I am, I am so glad that I don't have people following me around. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I took you to acting lessons, too. I think that our family chipped in and you got to go to acting lessons in Atlanta when you were young. I did. Yep. Which you actually enjoyed, I think.
1: I did. I did enjoy it.
0: On July 9th, 1973, 16 year old John Paul Getty made plans to go hang out with his friends at a local pizzeria. So there you go, authentic pizza place. And during the early morning hours of July 10th, 1973, Paul began making his way back to his apartment. He was living at the age of 16, Shelby, with a couple of roommates because I told you that he had left school already, and he obviously had left home as well, just to begin living his life on his own. I think that's a little young. Very. It is the 70s, and it is a different country, so I don't know how things go overseas when people can leave that early. I just, to me, that's, I just don't know. Shelley, you have a teenage boy in the house. Could you imagine him going to live on his own right now?
1: Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm curious, one, to know how old his roommates are. But, I mean, a 16-year-old boy's not going to know how to pay bills if they don't pay them. They don't even know what the consequences are.
0: That's right. I think his roommates may have been a little bit older than him because I did read that they were artists, like local artists in the area. I'm sure they had just maybe a couple years on him. I don't know how they met, but, you know, the arrangement seemed to be what it needed to be as paul was making his way home a car pulled up alongside of him and a man asked if he was paul getty when he said yes paul was pulled into the car and knocked out with chloroform, which, you know, you take a rag and you put that over your face and then you're pretty much knocked out rather quickly.
1: Yeah, that's not good.
0: It wasn't good because
1: Paul was taken
0: about 200 miles or 321 kilometers to the Calabria Mountains. I hope that's how you say it, Calabria. And that was at the very southern tip of Italy. The kidnappers originally contacted Paul's mother, Gail, and gave her 10 days to produce $17 million in ransom.
1: Wow, that's a really big ransom amount. I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that. Mm-mm. And interestingly enough, I when I was putting this
0: together, I kind of had to say to myself, why 17 million? That is a very distinct number there. I mean, don't people usually ask for increments of fives or tens, but 17?
1: Yeah, I was going to say
0: Roundup. Exactly. They obviously knew who this family was and told Gail that Getty Sr. was the one who had all the money. That would be her ex-father-in-law and Paul's grandfather. Okay. Yeah, so he's the oil tycoon and the kidnappers basically told Gail she needed to ask him for the ransom money. Now, given that Paul was an heir to the Getty Oil Company... The kidnappers made an assumption that Gail, Paul's mother, had easy access to the family fortune, but they were mistaken. Gail was told not to go to the police or the newspapers about this, and I'm pretty sure she told the kidnappers she did not have access to $17 million, so, of course, Who is she going to go speak to? She's definitely going to get in contact with her ex-father-in-law. During these 10 days, while she is trying to figure out what to do, Paul had written a letter that was sent to Gail, reading, quote, Dear Mummy, since Monday, I have fallen into the hands of kidnappers. Don't let me be killed. If you delay, it's very dangerous for me. I love you, Paul, unquote. I could not imagine, could not imagine getting a letter like that. And clearly Gail needed some help here, but she knew she couldn't go to the police. And that just meant that she had to go to her ex-father-in-law. But let me just tell you, John Paul Getty Sr., the oil tycoon, did not come to Paul's rescue right away. (laughs) Shelby, it's my understanding that he originally believed this whole thing was a hoax I think it may have had to
1: do with possibly Paul's free spirit. I mean, I could totally see that. You know, again, he's 16, living on his own, probably doesn't have that much money, maybe has a trust fund, but he probably can't touch that money until a certain age, I would think. So I could, I I understand that.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Getty Sr., did not believe he was kidnapped and flat out refused to pay $17 million ransom. And Shelby, I'm here to say, I love you dearly. But I think if all I could gather up as far as a ransom for you, if I got that call, maximum amount on the ATM withdrawal, how much is that? $400 a day?
1: Uh, I might be $500. <laughs> <laughs> well, needless to say,
0: I'd negotiate for you. <sighs>
1: I can give you $500 a day for the next 20 years.
0: (laughs) Another reason, Shelby, that the family may have believed that the kidnapping was a hoax was because during this time, a lot of other big name kidnappings were taking place. Aunt Beth and I did an episode way back in May, and I think it was episode 63, which is about an heiress who was also kidnapped. And that would be Patty Hearst.
1: I listened to that
0: one. Oh, you did? Good. Okay. So you know that's where Stockholm Syndrome comes from, or at least the term Stockholm Syndrome comes from. Right. Well, buckle up because we are about to get into a wild ride here because Gail is not really on great terms with Paul's father. That would be John Paul Getty II. She's not on good terms with him. obviously that's her ex-husband. In fact, he was living in England and was on again off again, unfortunately, Shelby with drugs. according to Vanity Fair magazine. John Paul II was emotionally unstable and he could not handle the news that his son had just been kidnapped. It was Gail who had to console him over the phone. So he was no help at all. And Gail went to the next person she could think of, which is John Paul Getty Sr. That's Paul's grandfather. Because Shelby, he is one of the richest men in the world and the kidnappers told her that that's who she should go to in the first place. It didn't matter though that... His grandson's life was at risk because old grandpa flat out refused to pay anybody a dime. Let me just add one more historical fact to this case, Shelby. There were a lot of demonstrations going on, a lot of kidnappings, but there was also a major oil crisis. And I don't know if you ever learned about the oil crisis in
1: high school. Not that I remember. That was almost 15 years ago. (laughs) Have, Have you been to a class reunion yet? No. Nope. I don't know if I plan to. I mean, that's what Facebook is
0: for. Just keep up with your friends that way.
1: Exactly. I know what's going on in everybody's lives. I don't need to see you.
0: (laughs) So this is happening during the major oil crisis of the 1970s. Getty Sr. could have paid this $17 million in ransom just with the interest that he was making. Because when those gas prices skyrocketed, he was making money by the minute, Shelby. I mean, it was insane with the amount of money he was making.
1: Oh my gosh. $17 million in interest? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I need a new job. I know,
0: right? (laughs) Getty Sr.'s reasoning for not paying that ransom actually, to me, made sense. He told the press that he had 14 grandchildren. If he had to pay ransom for one, he'd have to pay ransom for 14. I think he has a point there because you know, and I know, How many copycats are out there? And if somebody got wind, hey, yeah, this um, kidnapper got away with this. And hey, let's do the same thing.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: Absolutely. So in that aspect, absolutely makes sense.
1: Very smart man. He's definitely a businessman, though. He is a
0: very shrewd businessman. And I'll continue to tell you why in just a moment, because I couldn't believe this when I was looking all this up. Now, dealing with the fact, the kidnappers did not anticipate that the, the ransom would be denied. They were obviously taken aback when they were told, "No, we're not paying you anything. They could not understand why Paul's family would not pay up. So here's where things get a little bit crazy. After Paul was taken, the kidnappers cut off Paul's right ear, And mailed it to a local newspaper, along with a photo of Paul showing his injury.
1: Oh my gosh. Wow. Can you
0: imagine... Being the one to open the envelope?
1: No, not at all. And it, too, I think what interests me is, yes, the guy does have 14 other grandchildren, but he, he has to be the first, the very first grandchild if he is named after, if he's the third John Paul.
0: Well, I will say John Paul II did have siblings, but apparently, yeah, I, I don't know where he was in the birth order as far as Paul's father, John Paul the second. But yeah, you're right. I mean, he was the oldest of his four siblings, but of the 14, not really sure where he is in the mix. But yeah, he was the first one to name Paul a third. So, well, negotiations went on for about five months. John Paul Sr. negotiated terms with the kidnappers and they actually reached an agreement for $2.2 million instead of that $17 million that I had mentioned. But there was a catch because I told you he's a shrewd businessman.
1: I'm curious to know what it was.
0: According to People Magazine, the only thing that saved Paul in this ordeal was that a tax loophole was available that Getty Sr. discovered where he could write off a portion of this ransom money. Wow. Shelby, you do accounting. Did you know that?
1: No, I did not know that. Neither did I,
0: but Getty found a way so he can write off a little bit of the ransom he was eventually willing to pay to get his grandson back, but Shelby, let's not stop here. He had additional stipulations. Of
1: course he did. Mm-hmm.
0: The portion that Getty could not write off on his taxes paid out to the kidnappers was issued as a loan to John Paul Getty II. That would be Paul's father.
1: What?
0: <laughs> yep. Oh. Uh- Oh, wow. He was required to pay Getty Sr. back at four percent interest. Oh
1: my God.
0: Can you imagine dealing with somebody of this personality type? Like, come on now.
1: That's crazy. That would be, I don't even want to say it. Never mind.
0: (laughs) Okay. So, I believe Getty Sr. had a very tumultuous relationship with his own father. I'm just trying to understand his personality here because he didn't get along with his own father. His dad thought that he would ruin his own family business earlier in life. And I believe. That uh, the tensions between Getty Sr. and his own father were so bad that his dad only left him a certain amount in the will for whatever business he had as well, but pretty much told Getty Sr. that he was going to, he would ruin the business. And honestly, going forward, Getty Sr. was going to prove his dad wrong. And boy, did he though. So that's kind of that relationship starting off and who, who we're dealing with as far as Getty Sr. But imagine what the kidnappers were thinking when Getty Sr. initially refuses to pay for his own grandson's ransom.
1: And that makes sense because I forgot that you said that John Paul II, I forgot that you had said that, you know, he was using drugs and whatnot. So, I mean, the grandfather has every right to kind of, like, question everything. Maybe it's not the grandson he's questioning. Maybe it's the son, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is why he wants, you know, that money to be paid back.
0: Yeah, and that's understandable. He's probably thinking, "Well, why why are they coming to me? They should be coming to Paul's father, not his grandfather." Let me just add a few more things about seniors' personality here. He didn't have a great relationship with any of his children. He did write John Paul II off as a drug addict and pretty much disowned him. But he changed his will numerous times throughout his life. He'd take his children in and out, whatever mood he was in. He would just change his will and sometimes the kids were in it, sometimes they weren't. Now this one's pretty interesting, Shelby. Getty Sr. was a spendthrift. You know, typically when people have a lot of money, they may actually be a little bit more, what would you call it? A little bit more, well, a little bit more thrifty with what they're spending it on. They might just keep a little bit more of an eagle eye on the transactions. But this one's a little bit over the top. At one point, he had a payphone installed inside his home where he required guests to use it when they came to visit. Huh. Yeah, that's, that's a little over the top, I think so. So this is basically, Shelby, this is what the kidnappers were dealing with. Obviously, they were flabbergasted by Grandpa refusing to pay up. And they said he had messed up priorities. I'm going to agree. But then again, you know, he did have 14 grandchildren. Wow. So did grandpa have his priorities in order here? I mean, he could possibly have originally thought that Paul had conjured up that kidnapping to extort money. We had talked about that. And to me, Shelby, there is a lot more going on behind the scenes, like you said. He went on to blame Paul for being stupid enough for getting kidnapped in the first place. I mean, okay, I I spent a little bit of time on this and I am still like, I couldn't deal. With that personality.
1: What could he have done to prevent that?
0: Exactly. So this is where I'm beginning to think that Getty Sr. is either a little bit senile or he's just a bully. And I would lean more towards being a bully just because he didn't have any good relationships with his own father or his children.
1: Yeah.
0: Truly, I could come up with stronger words here, but bully is what I'm going to go with because we don't say strong words here on Dying to be Found.
1: (laughs) Yeah, very (laughs) (laughs) family-oriented.
0: Yes, family-friendly.
1: Ish.
0: Family-friendly-ish, that's a good one. The kidnappers began feeling a little bit sorry for Paul, which I can get it. I mean, you know, they're trying to make this transaction as quickly as possible, but things are being drawn out month after month at this point. I really do believe the family dynamics had a lot to do with why Paul had dropped out of school. He may have had high expectations from his family, not to mention obviously a lot of accusations. So for me, I'm kind of feeling sorry for Paul too, because he is definitely living in a toxic environment. I mean, that's my take on it. Paul did have one sympathetic kidnapper on his side, and this person went by the name of Cinquanta. Cinquanta was the one tasked to make all those phone calls to Gail, Paul's mother, to receive updates on the ransom money or to give instructions, anything like that. During one of these phone calls, Cinquanta begged Gail to make things happen. Otherwise, the outcome would not be good for Paul. And I don't think the kidnappers had cut his ear off yet at this point, but Cinquanta was doing everything that they could do to make things happen as quickly as possible. At some point, Gail did ask for proof of life just to be sure that Paul was still alive. Cinquanta brought back answers to Gail for any questions that... she knew only Paul would know. So let's talk about Paul just a little bit during his captivity. He was kept chained up, but was allowed to bathe in a nearby stream on occasion. And over those five months, Paul's interactions with his kidnappers always remained anonymous. Never once did they ever take their ski masks off in Paul's presence, so he didn't even know who his kidnappers were. Life was not exactly great during his captivity. In fact, some of the kidnappers were extremely cruel. They killed a bird that Paul had become quite fond of during his captivity. And they even played Russian roulette against Paul's forehead. So, you know, he was living in terror while he was there. It was not a picnic. It was not a vacation. Nothing like that. Here's the tough one. I'm going to talk about Paul's ear for a moment. I had mentioned that the kidnappers sent his ear and a picture of his injuries to the press. And these are Paul's recollections on what took place. The kidnappers had been offering Paul brandy here and there in the past to help him keep warm during some of those cold months. During his captivity, one morning they offered him brandy extra early in the morning hours, which had not happened before. Paul knew something was up, but didn't know what. He just kind of got an inkling, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong here, because what happened next is that the kidnappers proceeded to cut his hair. Then they began swabbing alcohol behind his ears. I mean, that's nice, I guess, considering what they're about to do. So they're taking the necessary precautions to prevent infection. Mm. Anyway, the kidnappers then gave Paul a handkerchief and told him to bite down. As he did, he felt someone tug on his ear and that was the moment his ear was cut off.
1: Oh my gosh. I could not imagine going through that. Mm -mm. All I can say
0: is it could have been worse, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's almost like they really didn't want to hurt him. No. (laughs) No. I mean, if they're giving him, you know, they're not doing it. I don't know. I just think of other things that, you know, in that situation, and I'm sure that they weren't as nice as they were to Paul in this situation.
0: And you remember that Gail had asked for proof of life. Right. I think that this was their way of showing proof of life because they sent a picture with Paul and his ear cut off along with his severed ear. So I think that might have been their way of showing that they were losing patience. Now, Paul did did end up getting very sick from his injury. And I think that this was probably the turning point where everything was starting to come together. Some of the kidnappers, because of the length of time that it was taking, actually bailed out. And then the rest of the kidnappers agreed that it was time for a reduction in ransom money. And that's where we went from $17 million to $2.2 million, which to me is a pretty large jump. And don't forget now, uh, Getty Sr. only paid a little bit of that because it was a tax write-off. And then he charged his son a loan for the rest of it.
1: The rest of it.
0: On December 12th, the ransom money was delivered to a drop-off location in three separate bags. Gail had to wait... Wait a few more days to receive a phone call, so she could learn where Paul could be found. On December fifteenth, nineteen seventy-three, Paul was released alongside a road south of Naples. And when it's all said and done, Shelby, Getty Sr. begrudgingly paid these reduced terms because Paul called Grandpa later to thank him for
1: helping to set him free.
0: Getty Sr. refused to come to the phone. Wow. Maybe Paul called on the pay phone. Who knows?
1: Right? Oh my gosh. What a grandpa. All
0: right. So as we near the end of this story... I wanted to kind of let you know where everybody is now. John Paul Getty Sr. passed away three years after Paul's kidnapping in 1976. He left his son, John Paul II, $500 in his will and left Paul nothing. Now, remember, he could have had that $17 million just on the interest during the oil crisis.
1: (laughs) Wow. Oh, my gosh.
0: Mm -hmm. Most of the kidnappers were eventually captured, but the ransom money was never found.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: The kidnappers were a carpenter a hospital worker and an olive dealer plus an ex-con. Paul Getty struggled to put his life back in order. He did marry and had a son but Shelby, he was just dealing with a lot. He just really did not get the help that he needed and he eventually fell into drugs and alcohol. Hmm. The marriage ended in 1990 and alcohol addiction is said to have begun the moment Paul's ear had been cut off because as the kidnappers continued to give him brandy to numb the pain. That's all they gave him. They didn't give him Tylenol. I don't think they had Tylenol back then, but they gave him no pain relief, no aspirin, nothing, just brandy. Because (laughs) you would think though that in 1973 and you had a compassionate kidnapper, at least in the mix, you would think that they would have given him something besides brandy. The kid's 16 years old. (laughs) Right. Just eight years after his kidnapping, Paul suffered a stroke due to a drug overdose, which left him partially blind, a paraplegic, and unable to speak. Although he was of sound mind, Shelby, I don't know how he would have communicated, but he did have a sound mind. He just was not able to speak because of that stroke. His mother, Gail, ended up taking care of him for the rest of his life. Until he passed away on February fifth, two thousand eleven, at the age of fifty-four.
1: Wow, he was young. He was.
0: <laughs> Upon his death, Paul's son said, quote, "He taught us how to live our lives and overcome obstacles and extreme adversity, and we shall miss him dearly." Unquote. In that sweet. That is sweet. Gail is now eighty-seven and living in England. So Shelby, that is the story of John Paul Getty III and his unfortunate kidnapping.
1: Wow, that was interesting.
0: It was. I don't even know how I came across this one. But uh, yeah, so I like to do, you know, different ones from time to time. And we would love to receive feedback from our listeners on this storyline or any of our other episodes. So be sure to DM us on Instagram or send us an email at dying2, the number two, the letter B, found at gmail.com.
1: There you have it. Do we have a teachable moment for today? We
0: do, Shelby. I originally thought when I was making this teachable moment today, I was thinking about safety and numbers and how Paul had left the pizzeria walking alone. the very early morning hours. That's never a safe thing to do. We know we should never be walking home alone at night. But the more I researched this case, the more I found that we really need to be talking about family dynamics here. Clearly, Paul had a great relationship with his mother the entire way through and all the way to the end. And that's commendable because it does not sound like Gail made any complaints the whole way. She loved her son. Her son loved her. And that's amazing, but there are a lot of undercurrents happening in this situation. And I think that Paul was placed on a very high level, maybe a high pedestal with family members. And I am just going to say he had to feel a lot of pressure on being somebody that he really was not. So look, if there's a black sheep in any family out there, that is me. Me too. (laughs) Are you? You would consider yourself the black sheep? Yes. Yes. Okay, <laughs> I never thought of you as a black sheep.
1: Oh. Oh, well, thank you. That's good to know. I'm just think maybe it's like
0: the rebelliousness. Oh, yeah. You know, I think every teenager goes through that. I think we have great family dynamics.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, for the family dynamics that aren't as positive in my life, I've learned to separate myself from toxic relationships. And it's not just family members. It's also with friendships over the years. You can take a personal inventory and decide who is toxic and who is not. Although Paul was considered to be a party boy, I do believe that he recognized toxicity in his family dynamics and he did try to separate himself as best as he could from that. So Shelby, I think my teachable moment here is if you are living to please everyone but yourself, you need to do a personal reflection on how damaging that can really be. I've always said just because they're family, Shelby, it doesn't mean you have to like them. So if you are faced with similar circumstances where you cannot receive acceptance or if you're pressured to be more than you are capable, that is okay. Accept yourself for who you are and what you believe in and don't feel like you owe anybody anything. And that includes an explanation. So that's my teachable
1: moment. I love it. That was a good one. Thank you. You are so welcome.
0: All right. Well, there you have it. That is the story of John Paul Getty the. 3rd. We will talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Dying To Be Found. Before we go, we would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest at Dying To Be Found. You can access our website, email, social media, and storyline request form by clicking on our Linktree account found in our show notes. If you like our episodes, consider buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash found spelled just like you see it on our logo. Feel free to message us on Instagram and let us know how we're doing or if you'd like a sticker. With that, be sure to check us out every Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. We will talk to you all next week.